Good morning. My name is Michelle, and I'll be your conference operator. At this time, I would like to welcome everyone to ADP's fourth quarter fiscal 2022 earnings call. I would like to inform you that this conference is being recorded. After the speaker's presentation, we will conduct a question and answer session. I will now turn the conference over to Mr. Daniel Hussein, Vice President Investor Relations. Please go ahead. Thank you, Michelle, and apologies to everyone for the brief uh, delay. And welcome everyone to ADP's fourth quarter fiscal 2022 earnings call and webcast. Participating today are Carlos Rodriguez, our CEO, Maria Black, our President, and Don McGuire, our CFO. Earlier this morning, we released our results for the quarter. Our earnings materials are available on the SEC's website and our investor relations website at investors.adp.com, where you will also find the investor presentation that accompanies today's call. During our call, we will reference non-GAAP financial measures, which we believe to be useful to investors, and that excludes the impact of certain items. A description of these items, along with the reconciliation of non-GAAP measures to the most comparable GAAP measures, can be found in our earnings release. Today's call will also contain forward-looking statements that refer to future events and involve some risk. We encourage you to review our filings with the SEC for additional information on factors that could cause actual results to differ materially from our current expectations. With that, let me turn it over to Carlos. Thank you, Danny, and thank you, everyone, for joining our call. We finished our fiscal 2022 with a strong fourth quarter that featured 10% revenue growth and 12% organic constant currency revenue growth. We also delivered 170 basis points of adjusted EBIT margin expansion, which helped drive 25% adjusted EPS growth. And for the full fiscal year 2022, we ended up with 10% revenue growth 90 basis points of margin expansion, 16% adjusted EPS growth, and importantly, we achieved record bookings and near record level retention, reflecting our strong position in the HCM market. Let me cover some highlights from the quarter and year before turning it over to Maria and Don for their perspectives. Starting with employer services and new business bookings, we had a fantastic Q4 with growth accelerating from the prior quarter resulting in our largest new business bookings quarter ever. And with this strong finish, we were very pleased to have delivered 15% ES bookings growth for the year. Despite several sources of global uncertainty, including the ongoing effects of the pandemic, the conflict in Ukraine, inflation, and concerns about global recession, our compelling suite of HCM offerings has continued to resonate throughout the market. In total, we sold over $1.7 billion in ES new business bookings in fiscal 2022, and well over $2 billion when including the PEO, marking the first time we've exceeded $2 billion in bookings. Maria will talk more about the growth opportunities ahead, but clearly we are incredibly pleased with what is the best performance by our sales force that I've seen in my 20 years with ADP. Moving on, our full-year ES retention of 92.1% was nearly flat versus last year's record level of 92.2%, as we once again exceeded our expectations in the fourth quarter. Client retention is driven by several factors, including product and service quality, business mix, and macroeconomic factors. And our expectation at the start of fiscal 2022 called for macroeconomic factors like SMB out-of-business rates to drive some normalization and retention towards pre-pandemic levels. We did see some of that play out, but clearly less than anticipated. More importantly, our product and service teams have continued to deliver 
a best-in-class experience for our clients, and particularly so on our modern and scaled platforms. We achieved record client satisfaction levels for the year, and we once again set new record levels for retention in several of our businesses, including our mid-market. So although you will hear from Don that we're once again making an assumption for a modest amount of macroeconomic-related normalization and retention in fiscal 2023, we are excited to have delivered such a strong performance in fiscal 2022 and look forward to maintaining our retention rates at these historically high levels. Moving on to the employment picture, our pays for control growth metric was 7% for the quarter and 7% for the year, reflecting a persistently strong demand environment for labor among our clients that has continued to exceed our expectations. This growth has served as a testament to the resilience of our clients and although we expect pace for control growth will naturally slow in coming quarters, employment conditions today remain strong, with our client data suggesting that near-term demand for labor remains healthy. And finally, our PEO business delivered another great quarter as it wrapped up a strong year. We had average worksite employee growth of 14% in Q4 and 15% for the year, and we were thrilled to have crossed the 700,000 worksite employee mark this quarter. As you know, I joined ADP two decades ago when ADP entered the PEO market through an acquisition. And as bullish as I was about the PEO industry back then, I'm not sure I could have anticipated we would be here 20 years later still growing at this combination of pace and scale. But the ADP Total Source team continues to deliver a great platform great service, and a great benefits experience for our PEO clients. And there is plenty of opportunity for us in the years ahead to serve even more businesses. Taking a step back, fiscal 2022 was unique in a number of ways. We experienced strong demand with over $2 billion in worldwide new business bookings and near record level retention, which together drove us to surpass 990,000 clients at year end, putting us on track to exceed a million clients any day now. At the same time, we've had to manage this growth in volume with prudent headcount growth given tight labor conditions. The way we've been able to do that is through efficiencies, of course, but also through plain hard work by our associates. And for that, I thank them for their efforts and for coming through for our clients once again. I'll now turn it over to Maria. Thank you, Carlos. With Fiscal 22 behind us, I want to take this opportunity to review where we stand on some key initiatives and provide an update on where we are heading in Fiscal 23. At the core of our client experience is their interaction with our platforms, and one product initiative we have talked about throughout Fiscal 22 is our new unified user experience, which was designed to be more action-oriented and contextual and to move us from transaction-oriented applications to experience-oriented applications. In other words, more intuitive, better looking, faster, and more consistent across our solutions. To achieve this, we have applied a research-driven approach informed by the data and insights we have gained in working with our nearly one million clients. Our focus has been to listen to our clients, learn from them, and utilize their input to design the best experience. In fiscal 22, we moved hundreds of thousands of clients over to this new user experience, including our clients on Run, IHCM, and NextGen HCM, 
as well as over 20,000 Workforce Now clients. We also moved the ADT mobile app over to the new UX. Feedback so far has been extremely positive, and in fiscal 23, we plan to expand this rollout further to remaining Workforce Now clients, as well as to additional modules and experiences within our key platforms. Workforce Now, in particular, has been exciting for us for a few reasons beyond user experience. First is its growing traction in the U.S. enterprise market. Just this quarter, ADP was rated, for the first time, an overall customer's choice provider in Gartner's annual Voice of the Customer study. This was the highest tier possible and was based on perspectives from end users with 1,000 or more employees and is a reflection of our continued momentum in selling Workforce Now to the lower end of the U.S. upmarket these past few years. This momentum builds on the already strong presence and traction Workforce Now has had in the U.S. mid-market, in the HRO space, and in Canada, all places where it is highly differentiated. Second is the continued rollout of our next-gen payroll engine to a growing portion of our new Workforce Now clients. Our next-gen payroll engine not only benefits from having a global, native, and public cloud architecture, but also empowers our platforms like Workforce Now to offer a better product experience and enables us to offer better service. We are incredibly excited for our payroll engine to continue to scale up to larger and more complex Workforce Now clients over the coming quarters. And finally, with talent and engagement an increasingly important aspect of the HCM suite, we continue to focus on our ability to help employers better connect with their employees. This quarter, we will launch a new offering that we're calling Voice of the Employee, a robust employee survey and listening tool which leverages survey instruments from the ADP Research Institute to offer clients a way to seamlessly capture employee sentiment across the employee life cycle. And one of the things I love about this solution is that it was born out of an elevated client-employee engagement our return to work workplace solutions have been able to drive, and it reflects the ability of our global product team to quickly identify an opportunity and develop a solution to meet a need in the market. Moving on, we made some exciting enhancements to the Wisely program this quarter. Most notably, we now offer Wisely self-enrollment with full digital wallet capabilities for Apple and Google Pay, thereby allowing employees to instantly receive and start using their Wisely account without support from their employer and without having to wait for a physical card. We also expanded our earned wage access solution by offering a seamless one-app solution for Wisely members through a deeper integration with one of our key partners. The offering enables employees to receive portions of their earned wages prior to payday and most importantly, is free for employees who use Wisely. With these enhancements and more on the horizon, we're incredibly excited about the growth prospects for Wisely and look forward to taking it from over 1.5 million active members today to an even larger portion of our U.S. payroll base over the coming years. During fiscal 22, 
we also highlighted the strength of our retirement services business, a key component of our HCM suite. We offer record-keeping services, provide unbiased, independent advisory services, and give our clients, their employees, and financial advisors access to over 10,000 investment options from over 300 investment managers, seamlessly integrated with our key platform and with the ADP mobile app. With over 125,000 retirement plan clients leveraging solutions including 401k, simple, and step plans, we are proud of our scale today, but even more excited about the significant opportunity in the market as we look to expand our market share within and beyond our payroll base of clients. Fiscal 22 was an incredibly strong year for our retirement services business, and we are looking forward to another strong year. And finally, our next-gen HCM solution is getting closer to a broader rollout as we continue building on the implementation capacity for our pipeline of sold clients as we shared at last year's Investor Day. While we are excited about all of these product enhancements and others too, product only drives growth when our sales and marketing organization can match it to a buyer and translate it into new business booking. And to that end, we are excited about our sales and marketing momentum and the continued investments we have planned to drive growth this year. First, the product improvements I just mentioned, as well as many others, are all intended to drive higher win rates and expanded breadth of offerings or higher price realization, and we fully expect our sales force to continue capitalizing on these opportunities. Second, we are making continued investments in both digital and traditional marketing into our brand and into our broad and growing partnership network. Third, we are excited to have invested at year-end in sales headcount and are stepping into the new year with hundreds of additional quota carriers. And we expect to be able to grow our average sales headcount in the mid-single-digit range over fiscal 23. Continued execution on our product and our sales and marketing strategy is ultimately designed to drive sustainable growth. And for fiscal 23, we expect to drive ES bookings growth of 6 to 9% bracketing around our medium-term tar target of 7 to 8% from Investor Day. Growth is a priority for us, and we look forward to continuing to update you on our progress. Now over to Don. Thank you, Maria, and good morning, everyone. Our Q4 represented a strong close to the year, with 10% revenue growth on a reported basis and 12% growth on an organic constant currency basis ahead of our expectations, despite higher-than-expected FX headwind from a strengthening dollar. Our adjusted EBIT margin was up 170 basis points, about in line with our expectations, as leverage from strong revenue growth overcame higher selling expenses, PO pass-throughs, and growth investments like the sales headcount growth Maria just mentioned. And our robust revenue and margin performance drove 25% adjusted EPS growth for the quarter, supported by our ongoing return of cash to our investors via share repurchases. For the full year, revenue landed at 10% growth. We delivered 90 basis points of margin expansion, offsetting a few different sources of incremental expense over the course of the year, and adjusted EPS grew to $7.01, up about 
For our employer services segment, revenues in the quarter increased 8% on a reported basis and 9% on an organic constant currency basis. The stronger-than-expected revenue growth was a function of continued outperformance on key metrics, like retention and pays for control. And our ES margin increase of 140 basis points was a bit lower than previously planned as a result of growing headcount faster than previously anticipated. For the full year, our ES revenues grew 8% on a reported basis, and our ES margin increased 110 basis points. For our PEO, revenue in the quarter grew 16%, accelerating slightly from Q3. Average worksite employees increased 14% on a year-over-year basis to 704,000, as bookings, retention, and same-store pays all continue to perform well. PEO margin was up 260 basis points in the quarter, due in large part to favorable workers' compensation reserve adjustments. For the full year, our PEO revenues and average worksite employees grew, both grew 15% at the high end of our guidance ranges, and our margin expanded 80 basis points. I'll now turn to our outlook for fiscal 23, beginning with some overall remarks. We have, on the one hand, an inflationary environment that is creating upward pressure on our expense base, and at the same time, we recognize there is clearly concern about a potential upcoming global recession, or that we perhaps are already in one. On the other hand, our momentum entering fiscal 23 is strong, and there are no obvious signs of near-term strain. And if the market's forecast of higher interest rates holds, we are positioned to benefit from a continued rebound in interest income. So our focus for now will be to continue executing on our strategy. And to that end, we have been and will continue to be making investments in headcount where we perhaps didn't get a chance to last year in a tight labor market. And we also expect to deliver growth that's at or above our medium-term annual objectives shared at our November 21 investor day. On to the numbers. Beginning with ES segment revenues, we expect growth of 6 to 8% driven by the following key assumptions. First, we expect our ES new business bookings growth to be 6 to 9%, which Maria covered. For ES retention, we finished the year at 92.1%, a touch below last year's record level, and we believe it's prudent to anticipate some further normalization of SMB out-of-business levels in fiscal 23, even while we maintain record retention levels in some of our other business units. Our initial assumption is for a decline of 25 to 50 basis points in ES retention for the year. For pays for control, with employment back near pre-pandemic levels, we anticipate a return to a more, a more typical 2 to 3% growth range. We normally talk about prices contributing 50 basis points to our ES growth rate. We expect that benefit to be around 100 to 150 basis points this year. And for client funds interest revenue, we expect higher overnight interest rates and higher repurchase rates on maturing securities should combine with our continued balance growth to drive interest income up nicely. Our short funds portfolio, which is invested in overnight securities, will benefit assuming the Federal Open Market Committee increases the Fed funds rate over the course of this fiscal year. And our client extended and long portfolios will benefit as we reinvest maturing securities at an expected rate of about 3.3%.
Between those two drivers, we expect average yields to increase from 1.4% in fiscal 22 to 2.2% in fiscal 23. We expect our client funds balances to grow 4 to 6%, supported by growth in clients, pays for control, and wages. And this is on top of the very robust 19% growth we experienced last year. Putting those together, we expect our client funds interest revenue to increase from $452 million in fiscal 22 to a range of $720 to $740 million in fiscal 23. Meanwhile, the net impact from our client fund strategy will increase by a bit less, from $475 million in fiscal 22 to a range of $675 to $695 million in fiscal 23. And as a reminder, this is the number that impacts our adjusted EBIT. The slightly lower growth here is due to the expected increase in short-term borrowing costs, which track the Fed funds rate. This borrowing enables us to ladder our portfolio and invest further out on the yield curve than we otherwise would. As we gradually reinvest our maturing securities, this gap between client funds revenue and the net impact from our client fund strategy should reverse and again become positive. Back to the ES revenue outlook. One more factor to consider is FX headwind. Clearly with the euro near parity to the dollar with a weaker pound, and with about 20% of our ES segment revenue being generated outside the U.S., we're factoring in a fair amount of FX headwind for fiscal 23 of well over 1%. For our ES margin, we expect an increase of 175 to 200 basis points. This coming year, our expense base will be increasing more than it does in the typical year, in part due to inflationary pressure on our overall wages, and in part due to headcount growth, some of which we did late in fiscal 22, and some of which we're planning for fiscal 23. But because our margins are benefiting from strong revenue growth outlook, including growth in client fund interest revenue, we're pleased to be able to guide to this strong ES margin outlook. Moving on to the PO segment, we expect PO revenues and PO revenues excluding zero margin pass-through to grow 10 to 12%. The primary driver for our PO revenue growth is our outlook for average worksite employee growth of 8 to 10%. That would represent a bit of a deceleration from last year, but of course we are contemplating much less contribution from same store pays for control in fiscal 23 compared to fiscal 22. This 8 to 10% growth compares to a high single-digit target that we outlined at the investor day in November. We expect our PO margin to be down 25 to up 25 basis points in fiscal 23 compared to a strong margin result in fiscal 22. Adding it all up, our consolidated revenue outlook is for 7 to 9% growth in fiscal 23, and our adjusted EBIT margin outlook is for expansion of 100 to 125 basis points. We expect our effective tax rate for fiscal 23 to increase slightly to about 23%, and we expect adjusted EPS growth of 13 to 16% supported by buybacks. And I'll make one comment on cadence. Because we expect year-over-year headcount growth to be more significant early in the year, and because the benefit from clients' funds' interest will build as the year progresses, we expect adjusted EBIT margin to be down about 50 basis points in Q1 
but then build steadily over the rest of the year. And I'll now turn it back to Michelle for Q&A. As a reminder, to ask a question, please press star 1-1. In order to keep within our allotted time, please ask one question with a brief follow-up. We'll take our first question. Our first question comes from Brian Bergen with Cohen. Your line is open. Hi, good morning. Thank you. Um, wanted to start with a demand question. So can you just talk about what you've seen across client sizes as it relates to demand environment? I heard the continued optimism in the mid-market. Can you talk a bit, bit more about up-market, down-market, international, and then just give us a sense of booking cadence? It sounds like it accelerated through 4Q. Have you seen any change in pace as you've gone through the first couple of weeks here in July? Yeah, absolutely, Brian. I am happy to comment on uh, on both pieces. So with respect to uh, the overall strength that we saw in new business bookings, both for the full year fiscal, very, very proud of the remarkable results, both for full, for full year as well as the, uh, the fourth quarter. And the strength was really broad-based. There was uh, solid performance across each one of our markets. I think a few call-ups that I would give you highlighted the mid-market. Uh, the mid-market does continue to perform uh, we saw strength in our HRO offerings, even beyond the, the PEO, the HRO was uh, a strength for us. I know I mentioned it in the uh, prepared remarks, but I'd be remiss if I didn't mention retirement services again. Uh, we also saw strong results in Canada, which was fantastic to see, uh, as Canada definitely uh, was impacted a bit more with the, uh, the longer lockdowns uh, from a pandemic perspective. And then, you know, I continue to highlight uh, quarter after quarter the, uh, the strength that we're seeing in our down market and our run offer. So felt very pleased with the, uh, the run. And then last but not least, uh, on the international front, uh, our international business had a, a tremendous year. So uh, very confident in the results, very proud of the work of the, uh, the sales organization. As we um, think about the demand environment right now, you asked about how did it progress throughout the quarter and how do we feel sitting here uh, a few weeks since July? Uh, I suppose I can't necessarily comment on in-quarter, but what I can comment on is we did see the results accelerate throughout the quarter. Uh, so while there was some macroeconomic things happening in the world, our demand actually accelerated as we closed out the quarter. So we saw significant strength, uh, specifically in the month of June. In fact, June was a record month for us ever, uh, as was the quarter and as was the year, as mentioned. So I uh, feel good about the demand environment and the acceleration we saw throughout the quarter. Uh, thank you for the question. Okay. And then, and then just a follow-up on margin. So if things do slow down, can, can you just talk about the levers you have to insulate EBIT margins? It sounds like they have baked in a healthy amount of resource additions. Can you talk about where you're making those across the organization and then where you might have some discretion to throttle investments should things slow down. Yeah, no, it's a very good question. So thank you for the question. I think, uh, as I mentioned in the remarks and the materials that we distributed, you know, we were able to get our sales organization a little bit more than fully staffed going into the fourth quarter, and that makes us feel really good about the opportunity to just step off into, into 23 with a fully staffed team, which is something that, uh, as we mentioned in prior quarters, was a little bit more difficult to do uh, during 22. So I think we feel really good about uh, where we are with staffing, particularly in the sales side. I would also say that, you know, just following the, the business model that we have, 
If we look at the record sales we had, particularly late in the fourth quarter, we need to make sure that we have fully staffed implementation resources to get those bookings generating revenue as quickly as we can. So we'll be focused on that. And then, of course, just following through to the year-end process, we need to make sure we can service all those additional clients as that time comes upon us in late December, January, February. So we can do all those things. On the other hand, as I referenced and as we're seeing in the media and elsewhere, everywhere, this talk about recession potentially coming, are we in one, et cetera, we still do have flexibility, of course, and we can certainly temper the addition of headcount and temper our costs more generally should we think that that's necessary if it's something that's as a result of changes in the macro environment. So I think we still have lots of levers, and I think we've shown historically that we are able to navigate those waters pretty adeptly should that kind of a situation arise. Okay. Thank you. Our next question comes from Kevin McVeigh with Credit Suisse. Your line is open. Great. Thanks so much, and congratulations on the results. I don't know if this would be for Carlos or whomever, but, you know, it feels like the retention step up is clearly a little bit more structural, just given the recent trends of 22 and to 23. Is that a function of kind of the next-gen payroll engine or just where are you seeing that success? Because it's clearly been a super, super outcome post-COVID. You know, I think part of our focus was whether or not that starts to normalize or not, but it feels like it's at a structurally higher level. Yeah, there probably are some structural factors just because of, we can see obviously where the retention is is stronger. And, and as, I think as we mentioned, some of the macroeconomic kind of readjustment that we expected in the down market, we saw some of it, just not as much as we expected. But, you know, if, if talk of recession is correct and kind of business and bankruptcies and so forth probably will kind of, you know, come back to some kind of normal level, which is, why, as Don mentioned in his remarks, we once again uh, plan for a slight decrease in retention in 23. That's really mainly in the down market in terms of the mix that it represents, uh, the total it represents of the mix, because everywhere else we really see some, you know, reasonable, what appear to be structural improvements. I, I wouldn't say that it's really next-gen payroll, um, because that's, you're really going to see that the impact of that on sales and market share and so forth in the next, you know, couple of years, because, you know, the majority of our clients are still, um, you know, not uh, enjoying, I think, the benefits, even though over time they will, of next-gen payroll. So that's really not, I just want to make sure I was clear on that, that that is not what's causing the retention improvements. But one thing I would point out is, you know, I mean, I know this is a broken record, but we made this big transition from multiple platforms onto one in the down market 10 years ago or a little bit more than that. And then more recently, we went through a multi-year effort, which was painful to do that in the mid-market. We have other things going on like new UX and next-gen payroll, but those migrations and those consolidations in and of themselves have created some real structural tailwinds, I think, in terms of service, NPS, and ultimately on the retention standpoint. It's just a much more, uh, an easier environment for our own folks to operate in. It's easier for, for us to invest in, you know, less platforms versus more platforms. It's just a much better 
uh, environment. As you know, we still have work to do in the up market, so there's still opportunity there. There's still some opportunity in in Employer Services International as well. But you know, we think these structural tailwinds that first helped us in the down market, despite the macro, right? Because the macro is really a cyclical issue. But overall, excluding cycles, our our retention in the down market is up. I said this before, hundreds of basis points higher than it was 10 to 15 years ago. And now the mid-market is at record levels, and the NPF scores continue to be at record levels. And I don't think we anticipate that going back down. If anything, we see more opportunity there in the uh, in the mid-market. And our plan would be to continue to do that throughout other parts of of ADP um, to add more structural tailwinds to our to our retention. Super helpful. And then maybe this is for Don. You know, it looks like the margin guidance like 100 and 125 basis points up from 90. Um, you know, given the leverage and float and pricing, seems like really nice outcome on the pricing side. Is, is the offset kind of the cost inflation? And, you know, where's the cost inflation in the model in 23 relative to, to where it's been historically? Yes, I think it's a good observation. I think there's a few things driving. Of course, you know, we talked about more price than we historically have been able to, to take. And, um, and of course, we do have the uh, we have the, the tailwinds, if you will, from the client fund interest. Um, so there's certainly, you know, we need to remember that the reason we're getting the, the higher interest rates is that we're in a higher inflationary environment. So you know, that's driving the overall cost base and wages. The other aspect is that um, we we have called out, and we typically haven't called out FX in the past, but you know, we've certainly seen I think what we would refer to as pretty dramatic changes in FX headwinds in the fourth quarter compared to what we've seen in, in typical years. And so we thought that was important to call out. And with 20% of our ES revenue being outside of uh, outside of the, of the U.S. and denominated in Canadian dollars, euros, um, sterling, and uh, Australian dollars, matter, I think all the currencies are essentially down. So, you know, when you put all that stuff together, it certainly uh, results in a little bit less of the, uh, of the top line dropping through the margin. So... That's in our focus. The other thing I'd say is that you know we do have a little bit of uh, a little bit of conservatism as we look to the back half. Uh, we uh, have to take into account all the things we're reading about and seeing, and making sure that uh, we're thinking hard about how to prepare should something happen in, in the back half of the year. So I think those are the primary drivers to uh, to to answer your question. And if I can add one thing, because you know you mentioned also price, and it's a big topic. I know I know for a lot of companies and a lot of questions about it, and I think it's important for you to understand strategically, right, at, at a very high level, regardless of how it flows into the numbers and so forth, our view on price, we set it for a couple of quarters now, is to kind of keep up with inflation. So I want to make sure it's very clear that we're not achieving our margin improvements or doing anything that would be, you know, unusual, because I think, you know, there might be some companies that are trying to make up revenue gaps or margin gaps with uh, with price because there's quote-unquote cover out there to do that. But I think when you do that, and I think Don has mentioned this before, that we, we we operate in a competitive environment and we look at what competitors are doing, we look at what's happening in the world, and we're long-term thinkers here. So you should, you should assume that our price increases were in line with what's happening with inflationary costs and not anything more than that and not, you know, materially less than that been very consistent on that. Thank you.
Our next question comes from Brian Keene with Deutsche Bank. Your line is open. Hi, guys. Good morning, and, and congrats on the numbers. Um, I guess my question is, looking at the, the midterm outlook for employer services back in November, I think we talked about a 6% growth rate, and you guys are going to be trending above that uh, 6 to 8 and with the strength of bookings, you know, growing over at 15%, I just wonder if maybe the midterm outlook was a little low compared to what structurally is going on in the business model, that that potentially the growth rate's faster than the 6% outlook that you gave over a midterm. Well, I, I hope so. I'll let Don comment in a, in a moment. But, again, just because I've been doing this for a long time, I, just, <laughs> I can't get it out of my mind. The way the recurring revenue model Kind of works is you know, we we love the 15 percent and what you just described really comes through in the numbers that the difference between our bookings and our losses, our strong retention and our strong bookings, that the net of that contributed more to employer services revenues than I've ever seen in my tenure as CEO, and that is what led to this acceleration that you just described in ES revenue. So that net new business growth is really the way to grow the top line here. There's other factors in there like patient control, client funds interest, but that's the core of the business and we're really happy with that. The challenge, of course, is that we're not forecasting 15% bookings growth again next year. So I would just caution you to that. Now, the good news is that that increase in net new business is in our run rate now. And so we don't have to grow by as much the next year in terms of that net new business to further accelerate our revenue growth. But I would just caution uh, you in terms of if you do that that kind of math, it's hard. It's hard to accelerate the revenue growth rate of this company. We just did it, and it takes a combination of better retention and higher starts, higher sales, and new business starting in the, in the upcoming year. And that 15% really makes a huge difference. But you can see from our guidance that that is not our expectation uh, next year in terms of bookings. And so you'll you'll experience hopefully additional acceleration of revenue growth in ES, but not by as much as you had from 22 to 23. Notwithstanding the fact that, remember, there's other things in there, moving parts like page for control, client funds, interest, and so forth, some of which will give us tailwinds, some of which may be, uh, may be headwinds. Yeah, so Carlos covered off all the main drivers there, of course. I think just once again, though, to go back and mention the FX headwinds we're experiencing. So I think when you add that into the mix, I think uh, probably get to the place where we're, we're, la- where we're landing and what we're anticipating, what we're guiding to for, uh, for 23. Got it, got it. And then let me ask you another popular question um, that, that everybody's getting is, is just how the model might be different um, now uh, in versus previous recessions, just thinking about the the resilience potential in the ADP model. I mean, Don, again, has, I think, a couple points he could probably make, but I would say, as usual, there's probably, you know, some puts and, some puts and takes. Um, I mean, I, obviously, I'd be – I wouldn't be a CEO if I didn't say I think our model is better now than it was before, even though, you know, I've, I've been through a couple of cycles here – Myself, so I, it's not that I'm criticizing anything other than myself. If I'm saying that it's better than it was before, but we just talked about the structural retention level. So even if we have a little bit of a drag in the down market 
And by the way, the down market is a larger percent of our overall business than it was, you know, 10, 20 years ago. But still, it's structurally higher by several hundred basis points in and of itself. So even if it goes down a little bit and it's a little bit bigger part of our mix, I think our retention is just going to hold up better, I would predict, in terms of, you know, depending obviously on the severity of, of the recession. So that's a huge help because, you know, the bigger – Obviously, the portion of the revenue that you retain each year, the less dependency you have on bookings in a recession, which tends to be the most sensitive. Like historically, when you look at GDP growth and, and our, all of our metrics besides pace for control, bookings um, you know, is something that uh, can be challenging in a severe recession, which to reiterate, we don't see. So we, we read the same things everyone else reads, and we know that Fed tightening will lead to slower economic growth, but we really can't see it in our numbers. Like our pace for control number in the fourth quarter was as strong as it was the whole year. You look at the monthly initial unemployment claims, you look at the room that still is there in labor force participation, you look at the number of job openings in comparison, you know, to where it was historically, and I just don't it. So there clearly are pockets that are happening, I think, as part of, you know, readjustments because of COVID that are kind of confusing the landscape, and there's clearly some kind of slowdown underway because it, it just happens when you have Fed tightening, but it's not happening in the labor market, at least not yet. Great. Thanks for the color. Our next question comes from Tianjin Huang with J.P. Morgan. Your line is open. Thank you so much. Really strong sales. I was just trying to think about attribution of the strength and how you would rank the, the factors there between better product set that's more relevant or better self-productivity, expanded sales force, uh, the cycle or secular things around outsourcing, taking over versus software. And any any interesting observations on your side, Carlos or Maria? Um, yeah, thank you. So uh, definitely tremendous strength that we saw. I think I called out a, a few areas. Uh, definitely the strength that we're seeing in our up market continues to excite us uh, for the future. I think you asked about the, the attribution of strength, and I think it, it really was broad-based across the business, but I think from an execution standpoint, uh, it really comes down to uh, the execution of our uh, sales organization and how they've been able to, uh, to go to market candidly really over the last two years as it relates to uh, navigating this evolving environment, but more specifically providing value to our clients in a more meaningful way. And we really have seen that uh, evolve over this past year as we've been uh, really across each one of the segments uh, helping our clients navigate, um, as I mentioned, the evolving environment inclusive of all the legislative changes. So. I think there's uh, the value we're bringing. I think the uh, the strong execution in general across the uh, the sales organization and leveraging the entire ecosystem uh, to bring that strength, right? Uh, which is everything from our marketing investments, our brand investments. I, I spoke earlier to the uh, headcount investments, and so all of this together, I think, has lent itself to a tremendous execution and strength uh, as it relates to the uh, the overall performance. And the only thing I would add to that is. You know, Maria and I have been talking for the last 18 months about how, 
you know, one of the most important things for our sales organization was really to get productivity at the quota carrier level back to and then exceed from a trend line standpoint where it was, right? So when you think about whether it's GDP trend or price trends or anything like that, you got to get back to where you were and then you got to get back on that same trend line. Otherwise, you leave a lot of money on the table, right? Whether it's the economy or ADP's revenue and, and bookings growth. And, you know, if from an attribution standpoint, again, this, I think it's important for you to understand this color. Like we had unbelievable productivity growth. And that's why I said that this is the best performance I've ever seen by our sales force. And clearly some of it is because we were in recovery mode, but sales forces naturally generally have, not that I know because I was never a salesperson, but I guess I've been around long enough to be hopefully an honorary member. But they, when, you, when you tell the sales force, okay, you got to grow, we're going to grow our headcount by a few percentage points, and then we got to grow our productivity two to three percentage points, that's the typical year, right? And that's hard in a typical year. When you tell a sales force you have to grow your productivity close to 20%, even, if, even though it's because it went down 20%, that's freaking hard to do, very hard to do psychologically. Anybody who's in sales, I think, understands that. And so these percentage growth numbers that we have and the productivity growth numbers that we have honestly are incredibly um, just gratifying because I really thought this was going to be hard. I was, of course, keeping my poker face on and, just telling everybody, because we have to do it, we have to do it, and we did it. And so most of this growth came from productivity and not from headcount because, as we've talked about, we actually had some challenges up until the fourth quarter in terms of achieving our headcount objectives. Not by lack of trying, by the way, not because we were trying to save money, because we were doing everything we could, and it was just a difficult labor market. The good news is in the fourth quarter, as Maria has mentioned, we – really did quite well, and we're in a great position headcount-wise now. But the 22 story is all about productivity, and that is an unbelievable accomplishment for our sales force, and it's across the board. It is, and, and, and just to provide some uh, actual numbers to that, so we reported a $1.7 billion in employer services booking. Uh, that does That is a record, as, as mentioned, uh, and it does exceed the, the other record, which was pre-pandemic and fiscal 19 at $1.6 And so that really, in the end, speaks to some of this uh, additional productivity that's not normalized, if you will. But Carlos is, is spot on. Uh, we did initially tell the sales force we will add headcount and you have to grow faster. But in the end, we didn't add the headcount, and they grew that much faster, uh, which is why I uh, am very bullish and excited as we step into the fiscal year with more sellers, more active quota carriers to really couple this strength that we've had in productivity with now finally more sellers to go get after it. That's, uh, that's great. must be gratifying for sure. So I'll, I'll stop there with the question. Thank you. Our next question comes from Dan Dolov with Mizuho. Your line is open. Hey, guys. Really nice results. I'm very happy to see the strength in the enterprise that you called out, I think, at least twice. Um, can you maybe tell us, like, I know you don't parse out the growth between, you know, in the end, but, you know, if you, if you did, I would love to hear it in terms of the different, um, kind of the different sub 
folks, but on a bigger picture, can you tell us, like, what types of firms, are you now regaining share in, 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 in some of those, like, uh, lower-end, large enterprise, and, and sort of what types of firms uh, came from, and how these conversations are different now versus safety and Thank you. Yeah, I think you mentioned um, we were having a little trouble catching the entire question, so maybe I'll, I'll maybe try to give a little bit of color. Maybe you can repeat again or or, uh, or ask us ask the question again. But I think you said something about the lower end of the enterprise space and kind of where the strength and sales is coming from, etc. So I think just to repeat what Maria said, I think it is it is across the across the board, um, but that is one. The reason I'm picking up on it, like this is it's a really good news story for us. So our workforce now platform, you know, we made this strategic decision two or three years ago. It made sense because it fits well on the lower end of the enterprise space, and uh, it's really been a home run for us there. So against certain competitors, it's really very, very effective, and we're selling a lot of units in that kind of lower end of the upmarket space for us uh, as we continue with the rollout of next-gen HCM, which is really intended further upmarket and eventually for, for global. Um, in the meantime, we're really having a lot of success in the lower end of the upmarket with our Workforce Now platform. And if you want to maybe repeat your question one more time, we'll, we'll give it another try. Yeah, no, I think that, that sort of answered the question. I wanted to know, and I apologize, uh, you couldn't hear me before. I wanted to know, like, how the conversations are, are, you know, like, how the conversations are different today when you're with those clients versus, say, three years ago, because I'm sure there's been a tremendous change given the results. Uh, there has been uh, a tremendous, it, it's a good observation, there has been tremendous change. I think Carlos hit the nail on the head in the lower end of the up market. It's one of the reasons we cited the uh, award and recognition we recently received from Gartner because the conversation around our offering of Workforce Now in that lower end is definitely resonating uh, for several reasons. One is it's a best-in-class product, as, as Gartner even acknowledges, and the, the users that, that were surveyed for that, for that award. Uh, but moreover, it's also the, uh, the speed by which we can execute and really take these enterprise customers uh, and, and turn them into uh, active clients. And so meeting a lot of different needs from a product perspective, from a time, timeline perspective. I think in the upper end of the, uh, the market, you know, certainly the conversation over the last three years has evolved. A big piece of that conversation is the, uh, the global discussion and our ability to, uh, to talk to much larger U.S. enterprise customers and other enterprise customers across the globe around our multi-country offerings and how we're thinking about uh, the, uh, or how they are thinking about their strategic direction on HCM on the global front. And so I think, you know, the conversation continues to uh, evolve on both ends of the spectrum of the uh, upmarket, and we're certainly in a position to, uh, to have very formidable conversations and um, transformation discussions thinking about uh, the, uh, or how they are thinking about their strategic direction on HCM on the global front. And so I think you know, the conversation continues to uh, evolve on both ends of the spectrum of the uh, upmarket, and we're certainly in a position to, uh, to have very formidable conversations and um, transformation discussions with our clients in that space. Great. Thank you, and uh, excellent results, as always. Thank you.
Our next question comes from Mark Marcon with Baird. Your line is open. Hey, good morning, Carlos, Maria, and Don. Uh, great to see uh, all of the years of, of hard work really pay off here uh, this year. Uh, so congratulations on the results. Wondering, with regards to the new bookings, I mean, $2 billion in total, $1.7 in ES, how much of that is split between um, new logos relative to, uh, you know, upsells? And how would you characterize your, your expectations on that front, um, you know, for, for the coming year? Thanks, Mark, and thank you for uh, acknowledging the, uh, the strong performance in bookings. Uh, there's, there's really no news to report here. I think we've cited it for years, really, to split between new logos and uh, client business. It really remains at that 50%, kind of 50-50 going forward, and that's really what we expect heading into fiscal 23. Great. And then with regards to, um, with regards to the forecast, John, you gave us a bit of a cadence, um, you know, uh, a sense for, for margins. How would you characterize it for revenue? Um, and specifically what I'm interested in is you did mention, you know, the, the, the interest on client funds is going to be back-end loaded. Um, but at the same time, we've got pays per control being modeled up 2 to 3%, you know, even though people are, are starting to call for, um, you know, a potential recession and potentially a decline in employment. So I'm wondering, how are you thinking about that part of the model um, and, and are there any things that you would call out with regards to just revenue trends as we uh, build out the models for the for the coming year? Yeah, so Mark, I just just going back to the, the first part of your question, you mentioned the deceleration in margin that I mentioned, and of course we talked about the increase in sales headcount in specifically because it is meaningful quarter one of this year to quarter one of 22. So we do think that's going to have a bit of a drag. There are of course some other factors, general inflation, general etc. But and we've taken price, Carlos uh, described and took it through the, our price thinking, which is pretty consistent to what we've discussed over the last number of quarters. So we do expect to see a little bit of uh, deterioration in, in margin percentage through the, uh, through the first quarter. I think that's uh, understood. And then as interest rates continue to, uh, or as interest rates uh, go higher and as we have the opportunity, we're going to see uh, higher client fund interest toward the uh, last three quarters of the year. But overall, you know, we're kind of looking at pretty even uh, top-line revenue quarter by quarter through the balance of the year. Um, no, no big changes at all in terms of growth rates uh, quarter by quarter through 23 compared to uh, compared to 22. So, you know, if you're modeling uh, if you're modeling growth, you can be pretty comfortable to model uh, consistent growth across the top lines quarter by quarter. And that doesn't mean that you should model or that we modeled everything consistently throughout the quarters. So, because I do have to make a comment on your point that sounded like you thought we were being aggressive, which would not be typical of us to, to model two to three percent pace for control when everyone's thinking there's going to be a recession. I would tell you that the fourth quarter you saw what our pace for control growth was, and I can tell you that we have visibility into July, and it's it's hard to believe that for the whole year it would be less than 2 to 3%. But then you can assume that if, for example, the first couple of months, at least, since we have some visibility of that already, are in the 6 to 7% range, because that's where we're kind of exiting, then you can do the math, right? So you're, you're probably, this is just to give you a color in terms of what 
some of our assumptions are in our operating plan, because I think Don mentioned maybe a bit of conservatism on the back on the back half, we probably have reasonable continuation of trends because that's the way trends go on patient control in the first half, and then you would probably expect the second half of the year to have you know little to no patient control growth or somewhere in that in that neighborhood. It's it's also hard for us to model a big negative growth in patient control just because of all the factors we mentioned in the labor market. That doesn't mean that won't happen in 24 or late in 23 or at some point in, in history, but it doesn't doesn't seem likely over the course of our of our fiscal year. But we're clearly expecting some slowdown in the second half. Carlos, you read my mind in terms of just the way I was uh, thinking about the, the characterization, and then and then thinking like, okay, this is probably what you're thinking um, in, in terms of the way it's it's going to unfold. So that's directly in line. Hey, can I just ask one more question? Just on workforce now, would you expect next-gen payroll? What's the expectation in terms of the number of clients that would have next-gen um, payroll within the workforce now uh, contingent by the end of the year? In terms of new, bu- new business bookings? Because obviously we just want to make sure we answer the question correctly. It would only affect, obviously, we're not even talking about migrations yet, even though at some point, that will happen. That's, that's what I was asking. Are, are we going to do any migrations over the course of this year? No. Okay. Great. Thank you. And congrats again. Thank you. Our next question comes from Ramsey Ellisau with Barclays. Your line is open. Hi there. Thanks for taking my question today. Um, I wanted to ask if you are seeing or expect to see any divergence in the kind of hiring or macro hiring environment macro impact between the US and Europe. I guess I guess the, the broader question is does your guidance assume a tougher environment in Europe relative to the US or, or something similar? Um, Don probably has the details, but I can give you some high level color that pays for control growth and I know you're not, act, not asking about historical, but as we gather the data, I just want to tell you that pay-for-control growth is very strong in Employer Services International as well. And part of that, of course, is because of what we're coming off of, right, which were uh, these, these lockdowns and these high unemployment rates kind of across the, across the globe. So I would say International has performed uh, similarly, but it is, it is safe to assume that we – see probably, you know, challenges given what's happening in the macro environment with energy costs and the war and so forth in in our in our international uh, business. And I don't know, Don, if you have... No, I'm Carlos, I think those, those points are valid. Certainly, the you know, what happens with energy on the continent in particular is going to have some have some impact on, on the results. Um, but, in, but beyond that, this is a little bit of the conundrum that we talked about earlier about where we are versus what people are talking about. So as much as Everyone's predicting a recession, et cetera. Uh, unemployment rates in the Eurozone are at 6.1%, which is an all-time low. Uh, unemployment rates in Canada are as low as they were uh, even before I started working in 1974. Uh, unemployment rates in Australia, 50-year low. So we've got this situation where there seems to be a lot of employment, yet all this risk and worry about, uh, about recession. So uh, although, you know, come back to your question, are we a little bit more concerned about what could happen in, in EMEA in particular as a result of um, 
what's going on with the Ukraine crisis, et cetera, a little bit more concerned, yes. Um, did we think about that? We put our plans together to some extent, yes. Don, you should point out that you started working in 1974 when you were 12 years old. Well, I say I said before I started. That's very helpful. Um, a follow-up question, just to update us on M&A capital allocation. Are, are you shifting your approach at all? Are you seeing incremental opportunity out there given uh, the turmoil of valuations in the marketplace, potential acquisition targets, or is it just uh, sort of steady as she goes in terms of uh, no change? Yeah, I think for now it's pretty much steady as she goes. I mean, certainly you can see the valuations have dropped across the board. And things uh, that were uh, really expensive in January are still just expensive. Uh, things are still expensive. They've come down off of uh, historic highs, so uh, there's not exactly what I would call a bunch of bargains out there. There's also not a lot of people who are coming forward uh, looking to sell their properties because prices are down. Uh, so I would say it's steady as she goes, and we'll continue to do what we've done and look for things that work for us strategically, look for adjacencies that make sense should they arise, uh, but really uh, steady as she goes, really no change to overall policy. Great. Thanks so much. Our next question comes from David Togut with Evercore ISI. Your line is open. Thank you. Good morning. Um, Don, you called out a 260 basis point uh, margin increase in PEO year over year, in part driven by a favorable workers' compensation reserve adjustment. How much was that adjustment, and how should we think about this item for fiscal 23? Yeah, so I guess the short answer is we we get adjustments uh, on, a, on a regular basis, and they've been favorable for us. We look at the workers' compensation experience over a number of years, and we get external third parties to do an assessment as to whether or not it's appropriate to, uh, to book any of those adjustments. And um, this year we've been, we've been fortunate. Uh, we don't typically forecast those uh, numbers in any great detail, simply because we do have to rely on the experience rating that the insurance companies bring to us. And so uh, without trying to disclose exactly what the numbers were, I would say they were favorable. And, uh, you know, we'll have to wait uh, as the months go by to see um, what's going to happen in, uh, in 23. I mean, we're, we're disclosing it in our, in our 10K, so we can... Yeah, it was $40 million million for the quarter, David, uh, in the K, and that compares to last year's uh, about $5 million. And mo most of that was as we headed into the quarter in the, uh, in the forecast and guidance. So it wasn't a big departure from what we had expected. But I think what Don was trying to say, though, about 23 is that it's clearly a headwind, right? So as we... As you kind of do your modeling and you think about margins, it's a, it's a headwind not because there's an operating performance issue or whatnot, it's just because we had a big, you know, benefit in 22 and we're not planning for a big benefit in 23, although we're always hopeful that we will get <laughs> some, some benefit. Uh, that's historically been our, our experience is that we do get some, some quote unquote reserve releases. Probably not as big in 23 as in, as in 22, um, but it might not be as big a headwind as it appears now just because of the numbers. Appreciate that. Just as a quick follow-up, uh, Don, in the, in the guidance you've given for extended investment strategy, client fund interest to be up about 200 to 220 million year over year in fiscal 23. How should we think about the incremental margin on that additional revenue? Are you applying 
additional expenses against it, or should we think about it flowing through, you know, at, at, at some set uh, margin? Yeah, so I, I think there's other things going on, of course. You know, we mentioned the the inflationary environment, which is why we have the higher interest rates. We mentioned the FX headwinds we have. So all things in, we're still expecting, we're still very, you know, very happy and very proud of the operating margin improvements we're getting. We think we still have good opportunity for for margin improvements, X client fund interest uh, going forward. Uh, so I'd say that right now our expectations are for a pretty balanced uh, uh, um, incremental margin from both of those factors. Um, so we are, of course, as we mentioned, you know, we are spending some more money. We're investing in sales headcount. We have higher costs as a result of inflation. Some of it is offset by price. But, um, you know, we are letting a substantial amount fall to the bottom line. Uh, but we are obviously in this for the long term, so we'll take the opportunity to invest in the business and make sure that we have a right balance between margin growth and preparing ourselves for continued success in the, in the future years. But I think that stream of revenue we would generally see it as 100% margin, just to be completely uh, clear. Um, if that's a question, yeah. do we apply expenses against those revenues? And the answer is, I think we've, it's not like a trick question because you've known us for a long time and we've been clear for a long, like on the way down, we always say it's 100% hurts us, right? Because there's really no, expenses that go away when that interest income goes away. So likewise, we would want to be transparent and acknowledge that on the way up, it's 100% margin. But I wasn't sure if it was a trick question or it sounds like it was. No, it was just trying to understand how much of that incremental revenue would flow through to the bottom line since Don had talked a lot about investment initiatives and you had underscored uh, growth in Salesforce headcount. But th thank you so much. Very responsive. I appreciate it. Hey, David, I'll just add one clarification. You said incremental revenue. We did make the point in the prepared remarks that it's the net impact of the portfolio that would be 100% incremental margin. So that there is a cost offset, and it's the short-term borrowing cost associated with the portfolio strategy. Much appreciated. Thank you. We have time for one more question. And that question comes from Samad Tamana with Jeffries. Your line is open. Hi, great. Thanks for squeezing me in. I just wanted to maybe circle back on, on the price increases. Uh, I know that inflation is, is a big driver of, of the maybe more than normal amount. Can you just maybe help us understand, would that put the company back on track if I think about the pause in increases and maybe fiscal 21 during COVID? Uh, would it be kind of linear from – pre-COVID levels if we just thought about the price increases compounding, or would it put you ahead of that because of inflation? And, and Carlos, can you just remind us, do those price increases tend to stick if, if inflation starts to roll over? Yeah, I think, again, strategically, and I'll, maybe Danny and Don can give more specifics on the numbers, but I wouldn't characterize what we did as being out of step with the market, or there was a pause for a few months, but our price increases, our intention was that our price increases during COVID were reflective of the inflation environment at that time as well. We did pause for a few months because timing-wise, we just thought, in particularly in 2020, that it was inappropriate to be giving clients price increases, you know, one or two months into a global pandemic. But we 
We eventually did some price increases, but we did very modest price increases because inflation was near zero for some period of time. So I would, I, I, I don't know if that answers if I'm, I'm trying to be responsive, but I think in general we are always trying to remain kind of in step with the market and still be competitive because our number one goal is to gain market share. And what the trap that is easy to fall into when you're a large company like ours is you can take price and take it higher than maybe uh, you you should be. You can usually do that multiple times and you can do that for a while, but it just doesn't work forever because of just the law of economics and, and large numbers and because of competition. And so our intention, it's important for you to understand that strategically, is we want to grow and we want to gain market share. And to do that, we have to be competitive in terms of our products, our service, and also our, our price. And that's, so it's important when we do price, pricing actions either on new business or on our existing book of business that we remain in line with, when, with what's happening in the general market and with our competitors. Great, I appreciate that, and, and good to see the strong results. Thank you. This concludes our question and answer portion for today. I am pleased to hand the program over to Carlos Rodriguez for closing remarks. Thank you. Um, I think we've, uh, we've, we've, we were very happy with the quarter, as we said. Um, I'm not sure what else I could say other than what I said about our sales performance, which I think is, is definitely the best I've seen. Uh, in a long time, and we've talked a lot about our retention and some of the structural issues that are happening there, so it's hard to be more pleased about about that. Um, but I do want to reiterate again uh, how happy we are with our organization and our team. Um, you know, first we start with COVID and all the uncertainty that that created, everybody having to work from home. Then we have all these regulatory changes, uh, some of them very positive, like the, the PPP loans, the ERTC. It happened across the world. And while we're then in the middle of that pandemic, we're telling our associates that they got to work weekends and nights because we got to keep up with all these regulatory changes and we got to help our, our clients. And then as soon as that starts to abate a little bit, we get this great reshuffle and we start having challenges uh, which we overcame in terms of being able to add the staffing and so forth. And so we ask our associates to once again, you know, work harder, uh, you know, put in the extra effort. And every time we've asked, they've, uh, they've come through for us. So, and they've come through more importantly for our clients. We really do provide critical services, uh, across the world to our, to our clients. And it was very, very important for our organization to come through for our clients. And I just want to again thank our, our associates for making it through so many ups and downs where we just keep asking for a little bit more and they keep uh, they keep delivering so I want to thank them uh, once again uh, uh, once again uh, for your attention and your interest and the great questions and we look forward to uh, talking again in the next quarter thank you this concludes the program you may now disconnect everyone have a great day <laughs>